we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We'll be in John chapter 4 tonight. John chapter 4. And I've enjoyed these character studies so much. John chapter 4. And we're talking about the Samaritan woman. And I actually asked Macy if she would sing that song for us tonight. Uh, That song goes right along with our message. And I love the words to that song. And and she did a great job with it. And uh, so we're talking about the Samaritan woman. Let's just begin reading in verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse 4, And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank Thereof himself and his children and his cattle, she knew her history. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou, know, whom, whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidst thou truly. Verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And ye say unto uh, in that Jerusalem, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called 
Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this his disciples and marveled, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out into the city, went out of the city, and came unto him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in church tonight. Help us as we open your word. Lord, I pray that everything that's said and done tonight would be from you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is a story of a woman who woke up that morning living in sin. And by the end of the day, she was part of the family of God. You see, everybody in the family of God, they're, they're not always just like we are. They may look different a little bit. They may talk a little bit different. We all have different pasts that we come from, different things that we've come through. And this woman woke up that morning in sin, searching for fulfillment in all kinds of places. And she went to this well. We're not exactly sure why she went to the well at this time. We know that she went for water, of course. The Bible tells us that she went about noon, in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. And often women would come to the well, usually in groups and usually in the cool of the day. Maybe she was hiding from those... Uh, from her accusers, those who knew uh, the sin and the lifestyle that she had lived. It was custom back in, in those days that men would often go to the well uh, that were looking for a wife. As the young women would usually be the ones to, to go to the well, they might have been there looking for a girlfriend. Maybe she was there looking for another man. Maybe she was there trying to find fulfillment, we're not sure. But there that day was a divine appointment. And she came to the well that day, searching, living in sin, trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong places, and there sits Jesus. And he begins to have this conversation with her, and she's taken back by him speaking to her. She says, why are you speaking to me? Why, why are you talking to me? Jews and, and Samaritans, they have no dealings with each other. They don't have conversations with each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with them, but Jesus wasn't just a Jew. He was a Savior. He, he came to bridge the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so they begin to have this conversation. And, and this woman there, she, uh, Jesus said to her in verse number 10, if you only knew the gift of God, if it, it, who it was that saith to thee, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I was that speaks to you, and she said in verse 11, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. She missed it. She hasn't gotten it quite yet. And remember this whole time, she's, she has her water pot, pot there, and, and she's trying to, to get her water and go on her way. And then she starts asking these questions. Art thou uh, greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well? She knew where she lived. She knew what was going on. She knew uh, about how the Samaritans thought that that mountain was the place where they were supposed to worship God. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. The day is coming where it doesn't matter which mountain you're on. 
We'll worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not about uh, where you are when you're worshiping God. It's about the God that you're worshiping. And they begin to have this conversation. And finally, she understands uh, who she's speaking to. And he finally tells her, I, I am the one that, you're, uh, that you've heard of. I am the Messiah. The Bible tells us that she set down her water pot. And she went back into the city and started telling everybody about Jesus. This story is only given in this gospel record. The book of John was written to prove God's love to the world, and John often speaks of the omniscience of God. He knew the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. Verse number one, when therefore the Lord knew. In chapter three, we read a similar story which reveals the heart of Christ. Notice the contrast in these two stories. In chapter three, we read of a man who comes to Jesus. In chapter 4, it's a woman. Chapter 3, we see his name is Nicodemus, and in chapter 4, she's unnamed. In chapter 3, we read of a high-ranking teacher, and in chapter 4, it's a lowly sinner. Chapter 3, we see man's self-proclaimed righteousness, and in chapter 4, we only see of man's sinfulness. In chapter 3, it's a Jew. In chapter 4, it's a Samaritan. Chapter 3, they met at night. Chapter 4, they met in the middle of the day. In chapter 3, the sinner came to Jesus. In chapter 4, Jesus came to the sinner. What's the point? The point is it doesn't matter if you're man or woman. It doesn't matter what time of the day. It doesn't matter your ranking. It doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter how well known you are. God is in the saving business. Listen, it was an unusual time. It was an unusual place. It was an unusual grouping of people. But God was working in a very unusual way. And I'm so thankful. Listen, we're in a, uh, it's a random Wednesday night in the middle of the summer. With a crowd this size, there's no doubt that there's someone in here tonight that doesn't know the Lord as their personal Savior. Maybe you have thoughts of, well, I'm just, I'm a nobody. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I've gone through. Maybe there, there are questions that are circling in your mind. Listen, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. God is still in the saving business. And we see this miracle that took place. This miracle that took place by this well. Jesus did not move in his ministry based on personal desire, but based on the spiritual condition of man. The Bible says that Jesus, in verse number 4, look at it. By the way, this is a good verse to memorize, and it's an easy verse to memorize. Verse number 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus needed, that's an obligation, to go through Samaria. You see, the Jews didn't just go through Samaria. The Jews went around Samaria. They didn't want to run into the Samaritans. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. I must Go to this well. Why? Because it was more convenient? Because it was shorter? Because he knew the route better? No, because there was a woman at the well who needed a Savior. There was a woman there that day, and Jesus knew, we see that in verse number 1, he knew all things, and he went to this well, and he, he met this woman, and this woman met the Savior. As I'm reading through this story, and I've been meditating on this story and this woman, 
uh, at the well here for, for several weeks, and uh, I, I see a, a couple people in this story that are overwhelmed, and that was the, the name of the song that Macy sang tonight, Overwhelming, and I want to give you a couple of them tonight. Number one, we see that the woman was overwhelmed with sin. The woman was overwhelmed with sin. Verse, uh, verse number 16, we'll begin reading there. We, we've already read it. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. See, in verse 15, she's already told him, I'll take that water, the living water, the water uh, where there's no thirsting again. I want that water. That sounds pretty good. Jesus tells her in verse 16, Go, call thy husband and come hither. What a random thing to say to someone. And, and, and the woman, I'm sure, had no idea where he was going with this, thinking he's just a prophet, not thinking that he's the Messiah that knows all things. Go, call thy husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. She was, uh, she was minimizing her sin. I have no husband. She said, I know you don't have a husband. Verse number 18, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that sense thou truly. Now this is a great picture. This is a great picture of our sin, the sin that we have in our life. And oftentimes... Oftentimes, we'll find ourselves minimizing our sin. And we say prayers like, God, forgive me of my sin. God, uh, forgive me for all the bad things that I've done. But Jesus here is pinpointing what her sin is and, and, and what she needs to have taken care of. She's under the burden of a sinful lifestyle. She came to the well that day with a heavy burden. And I think we can all relate to this type of feeling where we're overwhelmed with the sin in our life. And I remember uh, as a teenager and even as an adult going to camps and, and, and sitting under preaching in church week in and week out. And you hear a message on certain sin and you think, yeah, I need to work on that. And then the next day they preach again, man, I need to work on that. And then you get up at camp on Wednesday morning, man, I need to work on that. And before you know it, you're overwhelmed with your sin. I think we've all been there. We're overwhelmed and we think, man, is it ever going to take care of itself? Am I ever going to get through this? Am I ever going to win this victory? And I can remember my wife giving testimony some time ago about being a teenager at camp and feeling the same feeling and thinking there are so many things that I need to work on. And you, be you can become overwhelmed as somebody helped her and told her, you know, take care of one thing at a time. But we've all felt this feeling of being overwhelmed with sin. She came to this well with a heavy burden that was not obviously seen on the outside, but was weighing her down on the inside. Can you relate? Coming to church on a Sunday or Wednesday night and we're dressed up and maybe no one else notices it, but on the inside we're carrying this heavy weight, this heavy burden, and we're overwhelmed with sin. Now, all of our sin, it's on a different level. It's all different, right? It's not the same thing. We, we may not struggle with what she struggled with, but we're all struggling with something. And we walk in the world day in and day out, and then we come to church, and we cover it up oftentimes, and, and, and we're burdened, and we're, weighing, and we're overwhelmed. And in this sin that we have in our life, it's weighing us down. It's overwhelming us. It's overwhelming 
she was known for this type of lifestyle. And again, this might be why she came at this time of the day. Carrying this type of sin around becomes heavier and heavier. And as you carry it, the longer you carry it, the heavier it becomes. And you just add to it. And, and we just, as we go throughout our life, we just add and we add and we add if we never get it taken care of. Searching for something more, something else that fulfills. And when you live this type of lifestyle like she lived, she thinks, oh, maybe the next husband, maybe the next one will fulfill me. Maybe, it, maybe this one will completely satisfy me. But she was looking for the wrong thing. She was looking in the wrong places. I think of David in Psalm 51 as he said, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't get it off my mind. I can't get away from it. I can't escape it. It's ever before me. David gave us a little glimpse into his life before he was approached by Nathan and before uh, he asked God to forgive him of his sins specifically. And he was living this life and it was ever before him. It was burdening him. It was weighing him down. He was overwhelmed with it. She was under the burden of a sinful lifestyle. She was under the bondage of sinful lust. Sin does a binding work that is not easily broken. Paul said, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. I keep, find, I keep doing the things I'm not supposed to do. Overwhelmed with sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I'm so thankful that in John chapter 4, verse 14, it says, But whosoever drinketh of the living water, that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In sin we have death, but in Christ we have life. And this is what the Samaritan woman found out this day as she came to the well Romans 5:20 Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound where sin might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound. And that's what the Samaritan woman found out that day. Number 2, not only do we see that she was overwhelmed with sin, but we can't help but talk about uh, when we talk about the Samaritan woman, we must talk about Jesus. Number 2, we see that Jesus was overwhelmed with the sinner. Jesus was overwhelmed with the sinner. How do we know that Jesus was overwhelmed with the sinner? Well, he tells us, the Bible tells us that he must needs go through Samaria. And we've already said it. This wasn't for his own comfort. This was because he knew there was a sinner there that needed a Savior. The teaching of Jesus Christ is the teaching that Jesus cared for the sinner. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Luke 15.2, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. Jesus was overwhelmed with the sinner. How do we know that? Because Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for you and for me. You don't just do that on a whim. You don't just give your life for something that you don't really care that much about. God loved us and He sent His only Son to die for you and for me. And Jesus' life, His ministry was all about sinners. His purpose to come, and, uh, to come to this earth was for you and for me to die on the cross for our sins. Notice that the people that Jesus spends his time with, and we're not going to take the time to look into all of them, but Jesus spends all of his time with sinners. 
They even said of him, he eateth with these sinners. Can you imagine? He's eating, he's spending time with sinners. Why? Because he's overwhelmed with it. He's overwhelmed with the love, his father's love for the sinner. And then number three, and this is the main point of the message, we see that the woman was overwhelmed with the Savior. She said, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. That's the water that I want. She was overwhelmed with the Savior. See, she came that day to the well with her water pot to get water. And she begins to have this conversation with who she thought was just a man, just a Jew. We have the end of the story. We know that it was Jesus Christ, the Savior. When we're overwhelmed with Jesus, what does it look like? Number one, we see the seriousness of our sin. When we're overwhelmed with Jesus, we understand that our sin is a big deal. We live in a world today, we talked about this in Sunday school, uh, this past Sunday in the youth group. We live in a world today where we just okay everything. We just okay everything. This preacher this past weekend was talking about he was with his family somewhere, and this song began to play, and he had his, he had, he has seven children, and uh, he had a couple of them with him, and he thought, I'm going to look up these lyrics and see what my son is listening to. And he said it was just a very upbeat, encouraging rock song. Nobody probably thought anything of it, but he looked up the lyrics, and the, and the lyrics was about a, a young man who was bitter and hated his father. And you know what we say to that? It's okay. And that's just a small example of what the devil does. And we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 how subtle the serpent was. And Eve is having a conversation with the devil. And the Bible tells us that Adam was with her just sitting there watching his wife have a conversation with the devil. Not saying a word. And I'm convicted at the things that go on around me that are just not okay. We see the seriousness of our sin. We stand in awe of Him. What does it mean to stand in awe? It's an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, and fear produced by that which is grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. When's the last time you just stood in awe of who God is? The Bible says in Psalm 33, 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 119.161, Princes have uh, persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of Thy Word. My question for you tonight is, when did we lose our fire, our zeal for God? When's the last time you stood back and just stood in awe of who He is? Yeah, but I'm busy. Yeah, but I just don't have time to, to fast and pray. I'm always on the go. Stand still. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to read you this, uh, this list of things that we heard this past weekend. And I'll be honest with you, I sat in the congregation uh, under some preaching this weekend and I was heavily convicted. And this list may not mean much to you, uh, but it certainly helped me and convicted me. The preacher asked, are we playing games or is it real to you? We won't take the time, but he referenced back in Exodus chapter 32 when God's people uh, were supposed to be offering sacrifices. And the Bible says that they rose up early and they offered their sacrifices and then they continued on to play. 
They did their sacrifices, they did what they were supposed to do, and then they just went back doing their own thing. And the, the, the preacher asked this weekend, he says, uh, the, the authenticity of your Christian walk oftentimes is the difference in first-generation Christians and second-generation Christians. I was convicted by this. I'm not a first-generation Christian. My dad was a first-generation Christian. But I'm the kid that was raised in church. I was in church every time the doors were open. I went through youth group. I've gone to, to camp so many times I can't even count them. I've been in revivals. I've been in services. And many of you are the same way. He says first generation Christians often believe more than they know yet. Second generation Christians often know more than they believe. I'm just going to read these. First-generation Christians see Jesus as preeminent. Second-generation Christians often see Jesus as important. Notice the difference there. First-generation Christians see Bible truth as shocking and transformative. Second-generation Christians see Bible truths as good, normal, routine, and religious. First-generation Christians embrace the cost. Second-generation Christians embrace comfort. First-generation Christians saw what they escaped. Second-generation Christians wonder what we missed. First-generation Christians tried their faith. Faith without works is dead. Second-generation Christians theory our faith. Would I be here if my parents didn't make me come? First-generation Christians hunger for more. Second-generation Christians wean with just enough to get by. Oftentimes, he talked about oftentimes we as parents give our kids just enough so they're not the bad kid. We don't want to raise just church kids. We want to raise disciples of Jesus Christ. First generation Christians are burdened for the lost. Second generation Christians are burdened by the lost. First generation Christians experience mercy. Second generation Christians often only know of grace. First-generation Christians focus on relationships. Second, focus on formula. First-generation uh, uh, Christians, first love is a new love. Second-generation, first love is a recycled love. What a list. That convicted me. This woman at the well, and I'm closing. This woman at the well, she came that day, and she came to get water, carrying her water pot. And Jesus was so real to her. Jesus was so real to her, she set down her water pot, the Bible says. The purpose as to why she was even there didn't matter anymore. Now, she still needed water, but it just wasn't as important anymore. And I wonder how many of us were carrying around this water pot so much stuff going on. Good things, sin, all sorts of things. And we just need to set down our water pot. We just need to set down our water pot and stand in awe. Of Jesus. This Samaritan woman, she was overwhelmed with sin. She was overwhelmed with sin, but because Jesus was overwhelmed with the sinner, she was overwhelmed with the Savior. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.